Last week we, were, we looked at Paul uh, in Ephesians um, 3 verse 1. Let me just read it to you again. It says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. And that's all we did. We just stopped and looked at Paul, looked at his life, and looked at the fact that he was a prisoner, and yet he didn't allow prison bars to limit what God wanted to do in his life. We talked about that last week. Whatever situation you're in, don't allow those to be prison bars that limit you, because God wants to do something in your life now. Uh, I had somebody come up to me that, uh, that day. Uh, they, they called just to let me know that, Mark, I went, and I, st- and I went and was visiting with some friends, and instead of playing video games like we always do, we started talking about church. We started talking about Jesus, and, and he's a teenager. He's like, you said do something now. And I was like, I believe that God wanted to do something now in my life, and, and got to experience that. And I want to encourage you with that. It is for every one of us that he wants to do something in and through your life now, not that we're waiting to get through whatever we're through not waiting till you know, this stage of life is over, then God's going to do something in my life. He wants to do something now. And I, I want you to just you know, grab onto that and say, okay, Jesus, what is the now that you want in my life? What are you doing? What can you be doing through the situation that I'm in as, uh, as, as we're going through it? Um, he said he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Wasn't a prisoner of Rome. Wasn't a prisoner of you know, somebody, somebody else. Wasn't a prisoner of his own decisions even, even though that was partly why he ended up in prison. It, it wasn't... Um, that, that wasn't where he allowed his focus to be. He just said, I, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I serve him no matter where I am. Whatever I'm doing, I'm just there to, to share light and love. And, and out of that, that attitude, you know, where Paul could have been just rotting away in a prison cell, you know, just feeling like sorry for himself the whole time. He wrote four letters to the, to the church of that day, four incredibly um, strengthening and encouraging letters that are, are changing lives today. Why? Because of that attitude. So let that same attitude be in you. Uh, it almost, uh, you know, after verse 1, it almost seems like Paul just goes off on a bunny trail. It's like he starts off this thought. It says, when I think of all this, and he's about to pray for the church, and you'll see that in a minute. But all of a sudden, he just stops, and he just goes off on this 12-verse tangent of other stuff. Uh, and we talked about it last week. There's a couple reasons why this may have happened. One, Paul would have been um, uh, writing this letter in prison, but he probably wasn't writing it himself. Back then, they had, you know, they would dictate and they'd have a scribe who would write for them. You know, so Paul's probably, he didn't have Siri back then. It wasn't like he just pushed the button and, how can I help you? Hey, uh, write this down. You know, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and begin to pray for them and keeps up. It'd be more like, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And the guy's writing it out. He's like, wait, oh, and all of a sudden, Paul starts thinking about something. He's like, wait a second. Hey, write this down. Tell them this. And so they begin to write, you know, verse 2, and it, it changes some thoughts. Um, Paul also uses a bunch of words that he doesn't normally typically use um, in, in his writings in this section. But these words were, like, they were catchphrases that were really common in the culture of the church that he was writing to. Uh, it, was the, it was the culture of what the false, um, false um, teachers would use. When he used words like mystery, uh, and we use words like, um, you know, principalities and powers. Those are words that, that weren't used commonly in the church, but they were commonly used with a group um, called the Gnostics, who um, they, everything that they were about was, um, was uh, about knowledge, that you're saved by knowledge. They had this strange um, or different view of how salvation worked. The only way you could be saved, I- I- as far as the Gnostics thought, is you had to have the mystery word. There was these levels to heaven. Uh, So you were here and God, the good God was way up here and there was all these levels of uh, uh, angelic, you know, powers and and levels that you were trying to get to. And if you found out the, the missing word, you know, the mystery word, you would, you would rise up a level. You know, so let's say the first word was Floby, 
and you're like, oh, I know this amazing, you know, this word. I'm, I'm in the first level of salvation, and I'm, I'm striving with all this knowledge that I can gain to maybe figure out what that next mysterious word is. And you don't tell anybody what the mysterious words are because then they would know it. And, and you, weren't, you wouldn't be, you know, amazing and full of knowledge and on your way to salvation. So this was this whole thing of everything was shrouded in secrecy. Nobody was good enough. And, and this was this idea of, yeah, yeah, you know, it's Jesus Christ. You know, that's great. But, but it's about knowing this. And the more you know, you know, that then the more saved you are. And Paul said, listen, he, you know, in Colossians, he wrote a book uh, that's very similar to Ephesians. They're almost like written um, parallel books. Colossians is just like really short and to the point. You know, it's like he's a whole lot harsher and, and stronger in his feelings and thoughts about the Gnostics and Colossians. But in Ephesians, it's more like he just gives 12 verses and says, hey, here's a warning, look out for this. And something we can have in our own hearts and, and lives is that we stay so close to the gospel that we realize that it's only Jesus Christ. It's because he's alive. It's because he, he came to fix this broken life that I'm saved. There's nothing else. There's no, hey, keep being better. Keep doing um, better things. Study your Bible more or you're not saved. If you don't pray enough, you're not saved. Those are great things to do to grow, but that doesn't determine your salvation. And it says staying close to, to just to Jesus uh, was was the key. Uh, they kind of made it sound like you had to have, like, if you didn't know the secret code, you couldn't, you, you couldn't succeed in this game of, uh, of, uh, of life uh, in Christ. Uh, and it's almost like if, if there's any um, old video gamers out, um, back in the day, there was this little console called Nintendo. Uh, anybody remember that? Nintendo had this game called Contra made by this company called Konami. And it was a stinking hard game. Uh, you could not survive. They gave you three lives and a tiny little pistol, and then they put you up against machine guns and tanks. It was awesome. Uh, I loved it. But then, you know, it got a whole lot better because you could maybe get to level, end of level one, maybe level two, but you could not finish this game with what they gave you to start with until you found out the secret code, which was up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. Anybody remember that? Uh, you... You punch that code in, and you get 30 lives, and you no problem, right? You can go and obliterate. That's what they're saying. The same thing for Christianity. If you don't know the secret of how it's all going to work out together, well, you're missing out on something. You kind of always feel dumb in, in Christian life. And Paul's saying, listen, I want you guys to look out and realize this, because I don't want you to feel like that. I don't want you to feel, because he says the mystery has been revealed, and he begins to talk to them about that and let them know. He says, just keep your eyes open. If it ever varies from this gospel of Jesus Christ did it so you're good, if anything changes in that, just look out. Keep your eyes open. Ephesians 3 verse 2. He says um, to them at the end of verse 1, he says, it's the, I'm in prison um, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending this grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. Uh, and so what he says to them, he's like, hey, he says, assuming that you've heard. He's not saying assuming like we say assuming, uh, like, you know, just kind of guessing and thinking that they do. It was the idea of he knew that they knew. Paul says, I know that you guys have heard about me because I lived in Ephesus for three years. The church started in Ephesus because I was there. And you guys know that what I shared there, it, it was the revelation that Jesus um, had given to me directly. And, and for the churches that were planted around, they all got planted out of Ephesus. So there's a guy named Epaphras who planted some churches in Colossae, and that's where Colossians was written to. Uh, but he said that you all know that this, this message was given to me from Jesus Christ. But he says this, it's a special responsibility that God gave me this message. And the word he talks about is, I'm a manager of this message. And not only that God gave me this message, he gave me this message to give it to you. This was not some message that was supposed to be kept a secret. 
Whereas the Gnostics, everything was, hey, keep it a secret. He said, listen, this is a secret that's not meant to be kept. This is a secret, this is a message that's meant to be shared. And Paul realized that with my kids, um, we've been reading this book about Louis Pasteur. He's the guy for you dairy farmers who know about all the pasteurization of milk. He, he, uh, he came up with that, um, uh, or discovered that, that uh, whatever, that milk treatment thing. But also, he, uh, he also discovered a vaccine for rabies. And so we got this book, and my kids, my, Lincoln just loves reading it with me. Uh, I read it, he listens. But he loves the pictures, and you know where the dog, the, the, the story of Louis Pasteur is that, you know, he, he found a vaccine for rabies, and no one would try it. Uh, and then in Germany, a little boy named Joseph was poking a dog with a stick. That's Link's favorite part. You know, and then the dog gets out and bites him 14 times. I don't know, I don't know why that's his favorite part. But uh, it's uh, in that part of the story, um, th- this little boy in Germany, they, they read about it in the newspaper that there's been a vaccine discovered that can cure rabies. And so the, the, the parents, they hire a coach and they take uh, their son to France that he might have this treatment. And they get there and Louis Pasteur says, well, you're the first human being I'm going to try it on. And then they're like, what? You know, this is like, this is a little crazy. Are you sure it's going to work? Nope, I'm not sure, but I know it kills rabies. You want to try it. And the doctor said, well, if you don't try it, he's going to die. And if you do try it, he might die. So, you know, it's whatever. So they said, well, we'll try it. And sure enough, the, we know, you know, the rest of the story that rabies is no longer a, you know, a deadly killer because Louis Pasteur discovered a secret and shared it with the world. The thing is, the secret that he shared saves lives. My question is for you, do you realize that the secret that you have is, has the potential and ability to save lives? Because the message that God has given you is not something to be kept not something to be kept secret. And Paul's saying that to them. He's saying, listen, this idea of it's all secretive or it's like until, until you know enough, you just kind of feel stupid, so you don't want to share anything. He's saying, share the good news because it's not something that, that was meant to be kept. He says it's been given a, a special responsibility to us that we would be there to share it. In verse three to five, he says, I briefly wrote earlier to you that God himself revealed the mysterious plan to me. As, sorry, I got to read like this. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God n- did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. So it says God revealed this to Paul. Something um, so interesting in it is that it was a mystery, but it's not a mystery anymore. You know, the mystery has been revealed. Uh, this week, 173 years ago, there's a guy named Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote, um, he wrote the very first short story that was a, a detective novel, a detective mystery. It had never been written before. Uh, and so he had posted that out there. And out, um, from that, that's where all of the um, inspiration came for like Sherlock and, and uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes and other, you know, detective mysteries all the way through, you know, whatever those, those kids ones, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. They all got their inspiration from, from way back then. Uh, and so this... Um, there's, uh, there's shows now out there, you know, I don't know if you've seen Sherlock or Elementary, Sherlock's, uh, you know, the British version, and Elementary's the American version with Johnny Lee Miller, and uh, we watch it at home, Beth and I, we love these shows, and so we're sitting there, and we're watching them, this last week I just asked her, I'm like, Beth, why do we love this show so much? And I didn't want to hear her answer. I was hoping it's not because Johnny Lee Miller's in it, right? Like, I was hoping it was something, like, deeper than that. And, and, and we just we sat there and we were like, we don't know, but we just, we're intrigued by it. And, and then as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? It's true. There's this, um, this thought of watching Holmes and Watson uh, solve mysteries. At the end, you know, you're trying to think, you know, what, how are they going to figure this one out? But they always do. You know, in, in 40 minutes, they figure out these crazy, crazy mysteries just because they're just so much smarter than us. But we love to see that the mystery is solved in the end. If the mystery wasn't solved, we're probably not watching it. 
We're not sitting there going, oh yeah, you know, they, they came up against this tough problem that nobody could solve, and they're going to do that again next week. Nobody's watching that show. You want to see the mystery that's been, you know, solved. Uh, and as we, as we watched and thought about it, you know, there's, there's other shows called Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries was all unsolved mysteries, but why was it so attractive to people? It's because it got the whole public involved in saying, if you know anything about this, please call this number. You could help us solve a mystery. Because there's something in us that wants to know the secret. We want to know things that are secret that we don't know. Starts off as kids. You know, you see your kids running around. I got a secret. I got a secret. And they'll fight each other. Like they'll beat each other down. Just tell me the secret. You know, what do you, and it's like, oh, it's, it's never really anything really important. But, you know, as adults, you grow up and you're sitting here and you see somebody whisper someone in the cafe and you're like, oh, that's probably about me. You know, I, I got to know. I got to know what they're talking about. Someone's pregnant? You know, it's got to be, got to be, oh, she could be pregnant. But you, you just got to, nobody else like that? You just want to know, right? Uh, because we don't like secrets. We even teach our kids, it's rude to whisper at the table. It's rude to whisper, you know, don't keep any secrets. Because there's this thing in us that wants to know secrets. And, and it was one of the reasons why the Gnostics had this power over people. It's like, we get a secret and you don't know it. And Paul's saying, listen, the secret's been revealed. You can know it. Like if you want to, if you want to write a bestseller, just go out and write a book called The Secret and it will sell just because people want to know. It's been done already. 19 million people bought the book just because it says The Secret on it. It's full of whatever, arf and arf. But it's, um, it's um, a book that just sold millions of copies. Why? Because people want to know the secret, something I don't know. And Paul's saying the same thing here, that there's this thought, but it has been uh, revealed. And God, he says, God didn't reveal it to previous generations. Uh, it's something that he's kept secret for a long time, but now it's been revealed. In the Old Testament, they had glimpses of what God's secret plan was, but they didn't, they didn't get to see what it was until, um, until now. And Paul, um, he says in Ephesians 3, verse 6, he says, this is God's plan, that the Gentiles and Jews are going to share in the same thing. They're going to be the same body. They're going to share the same salvation, the same way to Christ, the same way to God. And, and, and some of us are like, what the heck? Here's all this big secret plan, and this is it. Jews and Gentiles can both be saved. Well, we've all known that for thousands of years, uh, but it wasn't always that way. Paul was so effective in communicating this to the church of that day that it's no longer an issue for us. We know that Gentiles can be saved. You're sitting here as a result of that. You believe that, that not being Jewish, you can be saved. You can be in the family of Christ. So why all the secrecy, though? Why was this thing kept secret for 4,000 years? What's the big deal? In, um, th- in chapter 3, verse 9, in a few verses, it, Paul says, you know, I kept a secret from, it was kept secret from the beginning by God, and it was kept secret from all the previous generations. Why? Why keep it a secret? Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, when that same, that parallel book, he wrote about the secret again, but he said this, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches uh, and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. He's saying, this is the plan. I wanted you guys to know that the, the riches are for you as well. And this is the secret, that Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. It's what he said. They've been keeping that secret. Christ didn't live in Abraham, in Moses, in any of the heroes of faith. Christ didn't live in them yet because it, that, that had been kept secret. This salvation was based on actions and works. You had to kill sheep, you know, for forgiveness of sin. There was this, this covenant deal. If you did the right things, then you would be um, accepted by God. And he says, this plan doesn't work. But he said that, that the, the biggest secret is this, that Christ would live in you. And we take that for granted. We don't realize that you have God living in you. 
I love the two guys who prayed for me this morning and just said, listen, you know, we're just going to pray. We got, we got God inside of us. We're going to pray for you. Lay hands on you. Why? Because the Bible says that you know, Christ is in you. It's his hand being laid on you. The, uh, you know, the, the fact that wherever you go, you have Jesus Christ by his spirit living inside of you. There's nothing impossible for you when you got him with you. There's, you know, how does that change the way you live when you go to high school knowing that God lives in you? See, but if you don't have the revelation of that, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's when it catches you're like, yes, God lives in me. I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm, I'm going to go and make a difference because God lives in me. He's saying this is the revelation that was kept secret. Why all the secrecy? I believe the secrecy comes to this part in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul talks about it, and you, can, you guys can check it up later to see uh, what it says. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul wrote to them and said, this was a secret that was kept secret from the beginning, you know, because had the, had the rulers of this age, again, using those words, had they known, had they known what the secret was, they would not have crucified uh, the, the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified Jesus Christ. Had they known, you know, Satan's thought was, oh man, perfect, we got him. Not only did we get people to sin, now we got God sending himself to go and die for them. And all I got to do is kill him and victory. Victory is mine. I've defeated his people and now I've defeated him. That's what happens when you love somebody, God. There you go. And it says, you know what? He didn't realize that he walked into the greatest, you know, trap ever. It's the fact that he actually facilitated your salvation. (laughs) Had he known... He wouldn't have done it. He says, this is why it's been kept secret, but it's not secret anymore. Jesus Christ lives in you. Verse seven to nine, by God's grace and mighty power. <laughs> I love that. By, it's by God's grace and his mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God created over all things had kept secret from the beginning. You know, you look at Paul's attitude. We looked at that last week. It it affected how he saw his situation, allowed God to move through his life. But he says this, it's by God's grace that I was chosen. You know, he didn't say, you know, this is my idea, something I'm gonna do. He realized that he was responsible to God. God had done this in his life. God had chosen Paul to reveal and explain this mystery to everyone. Um, That word reveal and explain just simply means turn the light on. You know, it's like, uh, you know, when you're, you know, you're as a kid or whatever, and you're laying in your bed and you look over and you see that pile of clothes, but, you know, you can just sure at night in the dim light, there's like a big spider on the top and you're like, it's coming for you. Like, Mark, get up and go kill it. You know, something like that. So, you know, it's, you know, in my, in my house too, my daughter's laying in her bed and, and every night she's like, dad, go close the closet door. I'm like, it's just closed. Dad, close the closet door. There's something in there. And so I go and I turn on the light and we look. And there's clothes. And she's like, oh, that's my clothes. They've never looked so scary. You know, but, but all right. Uh, and then she goes back to bed, turns like, dad, just close the door. I know it's just clothes, but just close the door. And I'm like, okay, fine. So every night I have to close the closet door. Why? Because in the silhouette, it appears you, you, you don't see fully what's really there. Paul said the same thing. This mystery, you've seen some hints of it through the Old Testament, but you didn't see what's really there. She says, I'm, I'm here to turn the light on for you so that you could see it. My prayer is the same thing for you. But the lights would come on for you today. And he's like, I got Jesus living in me. I may not have known that up until this Sunday, but I got Jesus Christ living in me. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. That we would get that. We would catch that. Not just here on Sunday morning, like, yeah, that was good. I feel bumped and get to the parking lot and it's gone. But that you're like, after this week, you're thinking, man, if Jesus' spirit lives in me, what's that look like in my life? What does that look like in my marriage? What does that look like in my parenting? What does that look like? Jesus, you would know how to handle people. My son, he's great. 
he's a little bit crazy. What do I do? God, give me wisdom. How, you know, I got Christ living in me. It matters. It makes a difference if you live it because you understand it. Um, Paul saw himself as a minister, which we've said every one of you is a minister. That just means steward, a manager of grace. He says, I realize that God gave me something I'm supposed to give to someone else. Jesus told a story in the Bible of, of a man who went away on a trip and left three of his servants with some talents, some, some sums of money. Uh, it's translated in different ways, but he left them with something. And he said, I'm going away, you know, do something with it. He gave one five talents, he gave one two, and he gave one one, and then he took off. And he said, when he came back, he talked to him and said, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? The guy with five talents said, you know what, I've turned those five into ten. And he said, well done. You know, you're a good and faithful servant. The one with two, he said, I turned two into four. He said, good job. You know, well done, you good and faithful servant. And the last one, he's like, oh, I, I just hit it. You know, I didn't do anything with it. He'd be mad at me if I screwed it up. So I just hit it in my backyard and here it is. And he's like, why didn't you put it in the bank at least and get me some interest? You know, why didn't you do something with it? The thing is that God has given you, every single one of you, every single one of you, he's given you something. Like my, my, my one doesn't match up to his five. Who cares? He gave you something. He gave you a story that only you can tell. You know, he's done in your life and through your life what can only be done in and through your life. You're the only one who can tell your story. We talked about it last week. When, when should you be doing that? Now. Don't wait until like God's perfected you because you'll be dead. Share that thing now. The life that he's put in, your lo- in you. He says you, you're a minister of grace. Freely you've received grace. Freely give it. Um, and, and it's what he said to his disciples back then. And he said to you t- today as well. What have you done with what I've given you? You know, Paul said, I'm the least deserving of all God's people. You see that attitude. It's not this idea of, oh, you know, I'm such a loser. You know, I'm a Christian. You know, we're weird. We're strange. We're just like, oh, you know, um, this is really spiritual because everyone else is so much better than me. I'm just a humble worm. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is, is this thought that he's humbled by the fact that, that God could use somebody who had been so against Christ, God could use him to build the body of Christ. So it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. That doesn't matter. God can use and work through your life for incredible things. You know, the Bible just says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but you should think very highly of yourself. You are God's kid. You are his children. You've got friends in high places. You know, you should think incredibly highly of yourself. The only thing that you have to think about is you can think of highly of yourself as you want to. You just got to do two things. Number one, think of everyone else around you as just a little bit higher and give God all the glory for everything he's done in your life. But we need Christians who are going to be proud of the fact that we're believers, proud of the fact that we've got an answer, proud of the fact that we've got grace and, 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 and thrilled with the chance to share that with people because we realize it wasn't just given to us for us. It was given for us to share that Paul said he linked everything to God's purposes. And he's like, I'm on a mission to share this grace, to let people know. Do you realize that you too have been called to a mission? If you're saved, man, you, if you've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you know your sins washed away, you've been saved to save others. Huh, you didn't get that, eh? You've been saved to save others. Not on your own, but to extend that to others. You've been shown grace to show grace to others. As a sign in towns in church, I drive by it, you know, every day on my way home, and it says, you know, breathe in grace, breathe out grace. Breathe in grace because you need it. You know you do. But then breathe that out into the relationships you have as well. It says the last thought too is that you've seen the light to be the light. Oh, no, 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 Jesus is the light. No, no, he says you are. 
He said, you know what? You're the light of the world. City set on a hill. You know, it can't be hidden. You don't hide a light under a basket. He's like, don't go around just keeping this thing secret. Shine. Just go let people see your good work. Shine for me. This, this, this thought of, ah, whatever's hindering you from shining, he's trying to get that out of the way, that you would just go and shine. God, I'm not qualified enough. Don't worry, I am. Shine. You know, God, I don't have all the right words. Don't worry, I do. Shine. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to serve. They're your neighbors. Shine. What are you going to do with what he's given you? Will you hear on that last day, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he just going to say, well, you're done? What would it be? The last thought. Good time for the last thought. I'm blowing a vocal cord. Yeah, we're good. God's purpose in all of this. <laughs> Love it. God's purpose in hiding all of this, keeping it secret and revealing it now, is this, that he would use the church. Yeah. Oh, man. Dumb apple. Do you got it up there? <laughs> have it up there. Yeah. Uh, verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities. That's what he's talking about, these Gnostics, in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, that is uh, amazing, amazing stuff. When you think about it, he's just saying, you know, God's purpose in all this was that he would show his multifaceted wisdom, that he is just so much smarter. Have you ever met somebody that's just so much smarter than you? It's, it's awkward. You want to go and fight with them, and they just like, you know, you have a debate with somebody who's so much smarter than you, and they just kind of lead you with their questions until you take yourself into the trap and realize, oh, I just contradicted myself. Oh, you know, that those kind of those kind of moments, it's exactly what Satan felt when the, when the day of uh, Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, and he's like, what? What, what happened? Wait, I, I, you were dead. I, 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 I killed God. And, and yet God came to life and destroyed his kingdom forever. That's that same idea. They never knew. They never saw it coming. And yet it was God's eternal plan, which means, guess what? This was his plan A. You, the church, was plan A. That it wasn't that it was going to be through the Jewish people that that was his, his ultimate plan. That was just his plan to get us to here where God would live in people, not be in a temple somewhere where they gathered around, but that you were the temple wherever you go, God is. That his glory would shine throughout this planet because he's in you. Wherever you go, you're taking him. And this was his eternal plan that he started in day one, fellowship with Adam and Eve, broken by their rebellion, restored in Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, you see this, that the eternal plan was that the Gentiles and Jews alike, meaning all people, would have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That was my plan. That's what he said. This is what I'm doing. And it's amazing when you realize that that's what it is. Because why? You can do, just like that last verse says, I can take full confidence in the fact that I can boldly walk into the throne room of grace because I'm his kid. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I can spend time confidently in his presence. That this, that that, she realized that you actually hold the last, the last card in the, in the story. The last card in the story is this, that you would enter the presence of God confidently and boldly every day. See, because all of that was for naught if you don't say, okay, God, I'm going to take full advantage of what you paid for. I'm going to spend time in your presence because I can. He's saying this thought is what I've been working for, what I gave my life for. As we celebrate through Easter and Good Friday, it's what it was all about. It was you. It was the fact that you could spend time in the presence of God. And guess what? You spend time there, you'll never be the same. 
just light you up on the inside. It'll be like the stuff that, just like that river of living water that flows out. I mean, you talk to somebody, it's like, it's like Mike was sharing with me, I was talking to somebody this, uh, this week, um, and he just said, you know, I just had to keep talking. I just felt God was saying, just keep talking to her, keep talking to her. Got to talk to the lady at Nuts and Bulk, maybe if you're here, great, you know. Uh, but just about sharing what, what was the life that he had on the inside. Last customer of the day, she's like, I can't believe it. You know, thanks for being my last customer. You've just left me with incredible hope. Why? Just doing that, just allowing the life of God to flow through him. God is not a secret to be kept. You have a secret not meant to be kept. My question is, who are you going to share it with this week? <laughs> Everybody, anybody. Some of you are like, oh man, I don't want to answer that question. If there's a test next week, please write down the name of everybody you invited to church this week. <laughs> Do you know what, though? Let me tell you something. It isn't for my benefit that I'm saying this. It's for yours. You know, when I walk into church and someone comes up to me, he's like, guess what I did this week? I was sharing the gospel with my friends. And you know what? When somebody last week knocks on my door and is like, hey, listen, guess what? I did what you said. I started talking about Jesus now with my friends. You can't buy that kind of excitement, zeal, and joy. You know what? Just go share it. Go share the truth and watch it just light up in you. I don't have all the answers. Don't worry. Just go share it. Go shine. That's what he's saying through this. The mystery's been revealed. It's Christ in you. <laughs> Christ in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for your word that you've kept, um, preserved it for us that we could read it today. Thanks for uh, just anointing Paul to write it. Thank you for the life that it still holds, that it's alive and powerful, life-changing today. We grab onto that. Um, Father, I just pray even for every person that you on purpose give them opportunities this week. That they just feel in their gut that they're supposed to say something. Pray that as they step out in faith and trusting you, that you just give them the words to say. May they just find out what it's like to work with you and live life with you. Pray your blessing over this family, uh, the stuff that they're going through. May they allow those things to be uh, opportunities for you to show your greatness and your strength. Uh, Jesus, this is for you. We desire to serve you and, and, and live for you and grow to know you more. This week, I pray you continue to direct our steps in that. It's in your name, for your kingdom, for your glory, we pray. Amen.